Okay, welcome to Brunch and Blasphemy. I'm Kayla. I'm Jesse. And we are millennial feminists here to talk faith in fiction. Yeah, and today we're going to be talking about Wonder Woman. I am so excited that I am a little bit like in physical pain. I'm so excited. Yeah, okay, so um, I am also very excited. And uh, so I made this like new tea that is supposed to be like really healthful. So you can see this because you're on video, but our listeners cannot see this. It is a crazy loose leaf tea from South America. So my brother is a Peace Corps volunteer, right, in Paraguay. Mm-hmm. And so he told me, um, so it's yerba mate. You probably oh, heard yeah. this. But uh, they're, they put a lot of like different mix-ins in it. So like chamomile or mint or orange peel or something. Mm. So I got this one that was mixed herbs. So it has chamomile and mint. And it also said made with sticks. Okay. I don't know what kind of sticks they are. Hopefully clean ones. Right. But there are literally pieces of stick in here. <laughs> and that's like. <laughs> and um, like it tastes good though. Okay. Like it, it sounds weird, but it tastes like healthy and good. And so I am excited about podcasting and also this new tea that I made today. <laughs> Okay, um, I am also drinking tea, but I feel boring now because I'm just drinking my standard traditional medicinals peppermint tea, which I have a subscription to on Amazon because I drink it so often, <laughs> but I am drinking it out of my toxic masculinity mug. It's a good mug. It is a good mug. It's one of my faves. So yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to talk about Wonder Woman. Uh, is there anything else that we should... Uh, we should share with each other before we get into this amazing discussion. Well, why don't we, um, as like a segue into the discussion, talk about how we saw Wonder Woman the first time this summer. Like not the old one or the comics or anything, but this particular new movie. So I had been reading all about the controversy over the ad campaigns and how it was really, really important for everybody who said they were a feminist to actually go out and see the movie in the theaters and pay money for it so that box office numbers could influence these, you know, kind of faceless big wigs at the studio. So I was all about seeing it when it came out, but also I just, just, I wanted to see it. I like to think that I have some decent nerd cred. I'm not as like, I don't know that I would pass a test given to me by like one of the adorkable kind of misogynist nerds that sometimes plague uh, that community but anyway so I went the first weekend and I I woke up on a Sunday morning I was like I'm gonna go see Wonder Woman and I could not think of anybody who would easily go with me and I didn't want to be delayed so I went to see Wonder Woman by myself which I understand that a lot of women find to be a little revolutionary I mentioned it to my sister and she said that it was on her bucket list to go to a movie alone And I was very confused. I was like, that's not a bucket list thing. Like, you want to, like, jump out of a plane? That's more like a bucket list thing. I go to movies by myself all the time. Right. (laughs) Going to a movie alone is not, it it is not, like, a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. But I think that it is revolutionary for a lot of women uh, because we're just socialized not to do that. So I went to see Wonder Woman alone in, like, a protest t-shirt, and I had popcorn to myself and it was amazing and I wept throughout the entire film uh so that was my first uh Wonder Woman viewing experience what was yours so mine um was fairly similar actually so I also um wanted to see it and pay for it um opening weekend and because I'm a grad student my schedule is like super open compared to the rest of my friends so I was just like I'm gonna go to the 1 p.m showing it'll be good when everybody's at work or whatever but since it's since I live in Los Angeles like a lot of people have uh, alternative schedules so (laughs) (laughs) so there were um you know a lot of people there it was full but you know I was there myself and there were a lot of like really nerdy kind of people there like wearing the DC t-shirts and all of that I went to one of the like old Hollywood style theaters um, with like the actual curtains and everything. And uh, it was it was good 
to see it in a group, but I wish that I could have gone to one of those all-women showings because when when Gal Gadot showed up, like, as her full-grown self, um, there were some catcalls right at the, like, and I was like, why is this happening? Ugh, men. Sorry, I just, like, yelled in your ear, but ugh, men. Right, why is this happening here? Just, just watch it. <sighs> so that that was like the only bad part was watching it with dudes i went on a sunday so i think if there were any dudes i don't know i don't notice dudes uh if there were any there they were with children so hopefully they kept their cat calling right. to themselves yeah. no um but, but it was also good i didn't weep because i don't um normally like weep at movies um oh i'm a crier right. i will cry commercials but, greeting cards but i was just so happy watching it i was like why didn't i get this movie when i was 11 years old like Mm -hmm. yeah yeah (sighs) okay well before i start crying again should we get to should we get to my uh (laughs) content introduction yeah so um introduce us to wonder woman the 2017 movie kayla all right So the film begins in Paris with a very fashionable woman walking into her office at the Louvre in stiletto boots. I, as an audience member, understand that walking that gracefully in heels that high is in itself a superpower, and I am made to correctly assume that this statuesque woman is Wonder Woman herself. So she receives a very serious briefcase from Batman, who has, I don't know why I said Batman like that, but I'm going to keep going with it, who has just sent her an original photograph from 1918, ostensibly of her. In a handwritten note, Batman asks her to tell her story, which I assume it's because Batman does not often meet people who appear to have some sort of immortality. Though, to be fair, I don't know that much about Batman. Anyway, we're allowed to see young Diana, uh, who lives as the only child on an island called the Mascara. There are no men on the Mascara, only the Amazons, who are essentially warrior women created by Zeus to keep the peace, especially against Ares, the god of war. Young Diana is eager to train with the other warriors, the older kind of like full-grown warriors, but her mother, Queen uh, Hippolyta? Sure. Hippolyta? Hippolyta sounds good. My my ancient uh, Greek is not up to par. Sorry. Uh, Is vehemently against it. As a child, young Diana is told by her mother of a great weapon forged by Zeus called the God Killer, the only thing capable of defeating Ares, who will one day return and continue his crusade to rid the world of mankind. So Diana's call to adventure comes in the form of Steve Trevor, an American soldier who's working for British intelligence, uh, who crashes his plane off the island. Diana dives into the water, rescues him, and uh, suddenly the Great War has arrived on the shore. Steve soon tells Diana of all the death and destruction caused by this war, and she is determined to leave with him uh, and to go save the world, essentially. She believes that Ares is the source of the conflict and that if she kills him with the god killer, the war will immediately end and there will be peace, and she will have kind of fulfilled her role as an Amazon. So she takes the sword with her, and she also has the lasso of truth, which we could talk more about later because what a useful tool. Uh, so she and Steve head to London, where they begin their work, uh, good old-fashioned espionage, and they also have sex, uh, which seems like a feat in time management, right? You gotta save the world, have some sexy time, I like it. So, they make their way to the front, mm-hmm. and eventually Diana meets Ares, like, on an airfield at a military base. The sword is destroyed, and she sort of is like, uh, wait, what? And Ares reveals to her that she herself is the god killer, cue dramatic music like she is the daughter of zeus and uh that's not the only revelation right she learns that while Ares antagonizes humans to war he is not the generator of you know worldwide conflict uh that's that's on the humans so that's a bummer uh and to rub salt in the wound uh steve blows himself up but in like a heroic way uh and that seems to edify diana and she discovers her inner strength and she uh saves the world and then we, you know, cut back to Paris and she's got her good boots on. And uh, that that is your cinematic experience right there. Yeah. Um, so one part of the movie that I think we should talk about a little bit before we move on um, is uh, Steve's like secretary thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, when 
Diana and Steve leave the mascara. How are we say in that one? The mascara. Okay. The mis- I mean, again, I did not take ancient Greek in college. I apologize. I did, but we're speaking English, not ancient Greek. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, they leave the island of the Amazons and um, go to London, where Steve has this older female secretary who helps Diana get some modern clothes. Right. And it's like a weird, like mother relationship but also like a sister relationship i would say like it has both of those like aspects to it yeah i would say that she's uh almost a guide right so if we're thinking about it as like a heroine's journey diana descends into the darkness after her call to adventure and she has some sort of guide that assists her with her transition yeah that's totally fair yeah but it was interesting because like the first you know half hour of the movie is all women mm-hmm. and then they leave the island and it's all men except for diana and the secretary what's the secretary's name she has a name uh i don't remember to be fair the digital copy only came out like 48 hours ago and i have not had enough time to do the rewatches but i also I think my favorite interaction between the two was when they like get a new outfit on her on Diana and the secretary whose name we are going to learn momentarily. It's um, Etta candy. Etta. Okay. So Etta's like, yeah, now I, you know, definitely can't tell that she's the most beautiful (laughs) woman in the world. (laughs) And I, I can appreciate uh, some, uh, some jokes can appreciate the jokes. So, uh, is anything else you want to talk about before we move on to our discussion? Like, as far as plot goes? No, I think you did it like a good job. I left out all the other dudes. Um, that's fine. It's called Wonder Woman. And that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know, there are other dudes and they do things and they're fine. Right. But <laughs> that's not what I want to talk about. So, yeah. So, now let's sort of have a discussion about stuff that happens in world. So um, we'll talk context and meta things in a moment. But first we'll we'll talk about if we were in the world of Wonder Woman, what would this movie be saying about us, about the world? Um, and one of the like main questions that is like at the core of the final battle is do humans deserve to be saved? Right. The idea of if you have moral evil, is there a threshold? Like when people across the world are engaging in a war and killing each other indiscriminately, is there an obligation uh, you know, on whatever higher power is at work here to save humans from themselves? Right. Because... So, like, Diana believes at the beginning that it's not the human's fault that there's war. Mm-hmm. But then it turns out that it, it totally is the it's human's fault. definitely it's... their fault, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and does that change her mission? Like, does she still want to save people and and be this, this you know, savior? And... Does she want to be the god that she is? Right. And that's a fair question. <laughs> right. And I think we we sort of, like, yeah, she does end up saving humans Mm -hmm. but we sort of see how she doesn't really like it um in that like she never really like claimed that savior title in the end right so like she ends up uh in the like prologue and epilogue like uh nobody knows her her story yeah, that's why Batman or Batman uh, sent that note, you know, asking. It's not like she's seeking glory and wants to be an Avenger. Right. So, like, she kind of saved humans, but not necessarily, like, in the same way that we were imagining she was going to at the beginning. Right. So it's almost like a begrudging kind of rescue. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, Kayla. What do you think? Do you think that humans should be saved or do you think like by an outside power or do you think like 
that's on us. What, what do you think? <sighs> I mean, at the end of Wonder Woman, I definitely wanted Diana to, you know, stop the world from ending. Yes. But yes, definitely want that. <laughs> you know, as far as actually being a human and living amongst humans, you know, I, I think that I don't know that I have an answer. I think some humans deserve to be saved and some don't. And then it's like, OK, well, who am I to, to judge that? Right. I am not I'm not the daughter of Zeus uh, as far as I know. So I don't know. I, I would say if I had to give a blanket answer, I'd say yes, because at the end of the day, I believe that humans are capable of change. Like, I believe that they are capable of learning and growing. Uh, yeah. So my answer would be yes, but it wouldn't be like, yes, it would be more like a yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I agree. Um, and I also think that humans like in the real world and in the world of Wonder Woman need to be doing some of that saving ourselves. Like it's not just up to Diana. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's it's also it's also up to you know all of those soldiers on the battlefield and to Steve who does his part. Yeah, right. He sacrifices himself to to save people. Like he takes what was it? What exactly was gonna like the the plane was gonna blow up? So the plane or was going to drop chemicals. I was very distracted by how strong yeah. Wonder Woman looked at that right. point. But yeah, it was gonna hurt people. He like took the took the stuff in the sky and blew himself right. up to save everybody. And I I appreciate the gesture, sir. I do. So so yeah, I mean I think that uh humans deserve saving, but I think like we also need to be doing the saving. Yeah, I I think especially those of us uh who claim to be to be woke. Right. I think you you got to back up that claim a little bit. I'm not saying that you need to put yourself you know, in the situations that Diana does, because you are not actually a god, but you should be doing what you can within the the boundaries of your capabilities. Yeah. So we talked a little about now uh, what humans are supposed to be do- doing to be good. Um, but what about like the evil in the in the movie? So we have Ares, who is like the god of war and is a strong Greek god dude. Um, but we also have a female villain. Mm-hmm. You want to talk a little bit about Dr. Poison? I think one of the things that strikes me as the most interesting about this like super villain is that she used to be really beautiful, right? And because of her experimentation, she loses like part of her face and she's disfigured. And so she wears this quasi mask. And I think we as viewers like have to be interested and maybe a little bit critical of the fact that it's almost like beauty is associated with good. And when she does bad, like she loses her beauty and whatever capital comes with that. Mm -hmm. And it's the idea of, you know, same thing like Disney princesses are pretty, but their stepmothers or the sea witches tend to not conform to you know eurocentric beauty ideas right do we associate evil with ugly i don't know so for me that was one of the things that i took away from having a female villain is the way we associate beauty and morality yeah and one other thing that i want to kind of talk about is the way that diana is a hero is the same way that men are heroes right she's a she's a fighter Mm mm-hmm and she engages Ares on male terms. Yes. Whereas this female villain, she's no match for anybody physically. No, no. But her power comes from poison, from her intellect, um, <laughs> and not not necessarily like from her her body, her her physicality. Um, in the same way that you're saying, like she lost whatever female power she had from being disfigured yeah her her evil powers also come from her mind rather than her body yeah wonder woman doesn't really engage her as a villain so much and i wonder what it would look like 
uh, if we had, you know, her as a female villain as the main villain, and then what the hero would look like that had to engage with a poisoner rather than the god of war. Right, and I think that it, it would make for a less engaging movie. Right, it wouldn't be a superhero movie the same way. <laughs> yeah, no, like the way we as consumers think of threats, right? We, we do think of a physical threat. So she's not the main villain because she's not as threatening because she is not using masculine ways of, of kind of exerting power over other people. She is that like intellectual, like cooking up poisons in her, you know, lab, which, you know, we associate women with, with poisoning. Like, like if your if your angry ex-wife is going to kill you, she's going to poison you. Like that idea of women in the back, like bottling up their anger and, you know, pulling out their arsenic. We don't respect that in the same way we respect somebody incredibly muscular coming in with guns blazing. So I don't think that she would be considered a worthy enough adversary for somebody as physically powerful as Diana, daughter of Zeus. So that's my take on that. Yes. (laughs) Do we want to kind of talk a little bit about religion here? Mm -hmm. So, so what is a God? And then sort of like the, the miraculous birth that, is Diana and we'll 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 get to like how these gods are related to the ones from actual mythology but let's sort let's just talk in world for a little bit like how how is this set up here right right so in world in the beginning like we are meant to assume that Ares killed all the other Greek gods and like took out Zeus and he's kind of the only one around. Yeah, and then the Amazons, they defended the world from him once, and then they went off to their island to, like, wait till he comes back. Yeah. The Amazons are not gods. No. But they're also not mortal. <laughs> nope. Nope. So I would just, I would refer to them as preternatural beings, right? Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's technically correct but that's how I'm going to go with it and that definitely deviates from Greek mythology right so so Diana specifically is half god though yes but is she a demigod did she have a mother uh, I mean she had a mother but I don't know how that quite worked out with the chromosomes right right <laughs> so if she's sculpted out of clay and then Zeus brings her to life, in that case she has one parent who is, you know, king of the gods. So then she's all god. But if she was like sculpted out of clay and like given life by Zeus, that sounds like the creation of man, like of humanity in the Bible, not necessarily the daughter of a god. So then she's not a demigod because she wasn't uh <laughs> I don't know, mixed? Right. I'm sure some DC bros could tell us exactly the metaphysics of Diana. I don't know that the comic book creators thought of it with this lens. I don't know. I'm sure they'll they'll send some angry tweets. (laughs) Yeah, I am ready for some angry tweets. I hope we get some. I'm always ready. I'm always ready for some angry tweets. Yeah, so we have gods and we have humans and they do interact in the same world like actually and it's not like the humans don't like can't see it you know like it's not like the gods are invisible right <laughs> yeah they're like oh look someone's flying right right they notice yeah which is different from the real world <laughs> yes i have not seen anyone fly <laughs> this week right um and then like the stuff that like the sort of magic stuff that happens, so like the lasso of truth. Right. Steve is super surprised about that. He doesn't understand what's going on. Um, so you know, like when we when we're watching like a superhero movie, like we sort of expect this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But the characters in the movie are not necessarily expecting this sort of stuff. Right. I think if I was just a regular old soldier, and you know some woman 
pulls me out of the ocean and ties you up wraps wraps me up with this strange piece of string that compels me to tell the truth i'd be a little bit weirded out yeah true yeah like i would i would balk a little bit uh i think he he comes around quite nicely i don't know that he sat around thinking like what would it be like to encounter a uh divine being in my daily life like i don't know that that's a question uh steve trevor was pondering back home yeah probably not he was probably more concerned with world war one I would be a little bit more concerned with that as well. So, you know, good on him. Okay. So there's gods. There's sort of like divine power magic stuff. Mm -hmm. So now let's kind of switch gears a little bit to talking about the real world context, the out world. Okay. We um, compared that to the in world discussion we just had. Um, So... We were talking about gods. Um, how does this compare to the actual Greek gods? Is that what we're gonna? Is that how we're gonna say that? I mean, yeah, like the Greek mythology as it exists in the world. <laughs> the the traditional Greek pantheon. Sixth grade, we did some. I don't know. Right, the Greek mythology that we all kind of read about in seventh grade or whatever grade that was, nine. It's very small. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so so Greek mythology, mm-hmm. they use all the same names and they have like approximately the same relationships. Like Zeus is the like main dude and Ares is the god of war. Yeah. Um, so Diana is a Greek god. Yes. Right. Um, but she is not Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And she's not even really an Amazon. Like, I think the Amazons are a thing, but Diana is like an actual god. Like, the huntress kind of thing. Right? Right. She's goddess of the hunt is what I always think of just from traditional schooling, is that Diana is the goddess of the hunt. Right. So, um, the Wonder Woman comic movie, all of that stuff has has kind of, like, taken the name, which I guess is fine, Mm-hmm. Um, there's only so many Greek names. So what can, do we want to like make a connection between Diana, the God and Diana, Wonder Woman? So I always kind of thought like growing up that the Greek goddess Diana was kind of the boring one. And that's definitely <laughs> my own bias. I was always much more intrigued by Aphrodite, right? Because <laughs> Aphrodite seemed to have... Uh, she was the salacious one. Like she's the one who's like mm-hmm. having affairs and getting caught in nets. And yep, Catholic school, Kayla. <laughs> yeah, Aphrodite. I was so yeah. That was where I was uh, preoccupied with. And Diana was the one who's like in nature and can talk to wild animals. And she was sort of the quote unquote boring one that I associated. Uh, you know, with like going camping and other things I did not like. And for me, she was never the most interesting. Is she the goddess of the virgins? I think so. But that might be bringing some Roman stuff into it. I don't know. Cause, okay. Know. So I think, and this is just based off traditional schooling, right? Like Diana becomes Artemis and then Artemis becomes the one who like, shoots horny dudes with bows and arrows when they try to like get at women without consent which i feel like you know diana wonder woman would be down with that like i don't know that she'd use a bow and arrow but right yeah i could see that connection right well and i mean and that is like diana like goddess of the hunt does have like a more physicality maybe than aphrodite oh yeah for sure (laughs) So, like, I think, like, we we can draw a lot of parallels between Goddess Diana and Wonder Woman Diana. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> even if there's sure. not, like, this, this like, huntress aspect, well, like, nature aspect, not so well, much. Well, and I think the huntress thing kind of goes, like, I think my comparison, uh, or not comparison, but my uh, side-by-side comparison of Aphrodite, who is traditionally feminine, like, you look at Diana and you look at diana wonder woman and they are not traditionally feminine in terms of their physicality right and i think right. that that's a, an interesting contrast but yes 
to yeah 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 Yeah. and i don't know like the the hunting is almost like co-opting something that is traditionally masculine which i think it is (laughs) yes you're right (laughs) i i don't think that i know that and (laughs) I, i think a lot of i know that a lot of people connecting with the film of wonder woman was the idea of seeing somebody who kind of co-ops or uh, appropriates, if you will, the idea of that, that physicality and being strong and being uh, open with that and, and unashamed. Yep. One thing that uh, we should talk about a little bit um, is sort of a difference between the comics and the movie mm-hmm. is uh, they took out the character of Nubia, mm-hmm. which so Nubia in the comics is Diana's sister who is black. And there were black characters in the movie, like black mm-hmm. Amazons. Yes. But they didn't have too much speaking roles. Um, they were not the main characters. Mm-hmm. And I know like you can't have 20 different main characters in a movie, but it is a little bit problematic that they took out the like main black character from the comics yeah yeah and i agree that that is problematic i and i i'm going to say this and i hate that i'm going to say this but i think we as you know women were lucky to get a female character, you know, driven superhero film at all. And we were right. lucky to get one that stars one of the most traditionally beautiful women ever. Like we, we got a movie and we're like, yay. But it, we were like scraped by the hair on our chinny chin chin or whatever metaphor right. you want to use. Like, and it was like, we got one and it's almost like we had to cast somebody that looks like uh, Gal Gadot does. Right. That looks like a literal goddess. <laughs> yeah. She's <laughs> like 12 feet tall. And like, yeah, she's kind of like, like again, like the Eurocentric beauty standards. She's, she's conforming to them. And I think the idea that we were lucky to get that, like, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what a world looks like where we get a movie that is empowering to women and it stars a black woman, at least not on, on the scale of wonder woman. Right. And I mean, that's, that's a a problem with Hollywood is (laughs) (laughs) is they don't, they don't think that that kind of movie would be profitable. Right. And I mean, even if we're talking about critical success, like, you know, in recent memory, like, what Academy Awards have gone to black women. Look at the roles they're, they're earning these for. Like you get to be a slave and you get to be a maid. Right. Right. And we're as a culture. You don't get to be a physically powerful. No, no person. No, a physically powerful, like, you know, like positive uh, sexual experiences, things like this. Like these are just not available to black women. And, it's just it's just so sad and i don't uh it's it's more it's it's more than sad it's frustrating right yeah um and like we both had like started out this discussion saying that we wanted to financially support this movie which mm-hmm. is true yes but I would pre-order tickets for a movie with a black female superhero. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. And and it goes back to the idea that representation matters. Right? Yeah. Like representation absolutely matters. And for me like this movie felt like a step ahead in terms of my representation, but I'm sh- right. like I I don't know that that could be said for for black women. Right? And I would never speak for that community. I just we're definitely not there where where women of color are being portrayed on screen in any way that's equitable. Yeah. It's a problem. Wow. That was that was a downer. <laughs> Oof. Okay. Um do we want to say something about 
Patty Jenkins? I think we definitely should talk about Patty Jenkins and we should talk about the no man's land scene. Yeah. Because for me, that was one of the most powerful moments of the film, like as a viewer and then to read about it, like to walk out of the theater and to read about how she had to fight to get that scene in. I think it just underscores the idea that films are not being made that accurately, I don't want to say catered to, an audience because I think there's an audience for every film even horrible terrible problematic misogynistic films there's an audience uh (laughs) but not not the people like I would go to brunch with right Right. uh you know so she's the scene of no man's land Diana says you know or or Steve will back it up Steve says you know that's not what we came here to do she's like yeah but it's what I'm going to do and she just sort of puts on her armor and that's a lot of symbolism in that and we could talk about what armor is for women in their daily lives but she puts it on she hops out that ladder and she's just like yep no bullets don't care i'm going and right that oh like what a moving beautiful moment and the fact that there were people in it involved in the production of this film that were like eh, i don't get it shows me that they've they've never had to be in a position where they're, you know, metaphorically putting on their armor and having to do it anyway. Right. Well, and and another thing that I found really powerful in that scene is like, she is being attacked, mm-hmm. but she's not necessarily like, she doesn't have a gun. She doesn't have right. a machine gun shooting mm-hmm. back at them. Nope. And it, Diana is not a, a pacifist. But <laughs> no. She definitely is like, I'm going to go kill this guy. <laughs> but um, I think in that scene, she shows what it's what uh, I mean, I, you can't even really say like nonviolent resistance, but what resistance looks like that doesn't escalate the violence. Right. And I think to extend that, like if we're talking about her as a metaphor for women today, the idea that if we're suiting up and we're going out there and we're getting attacked, it might not always be safe in spaces for women to attack back. Right. Um, so I don't know. That's just something else to think about. And that we don't have the same weapons. <laughs> we don't use the same weapons. You as, cannot dismantle as the world, the uses. master's house with right. the master's tools. Right. Right. So, so Diana has the lasso of truth and, and her shield and her wristband things that deflect bullets. Right. Her, um, her talismans are, incredibly uh feminine right she's not right walking out there with uh like she has that sword with a phallus it turns out it turns out that the sword is not the main thing like she is she herself is is the weapon well that's an interesting uh analysis if we think about like her only phallic weapon (laughs) just fails to perform (laughs) (laughs) I, i don't know that's a message like uh some viewers would like to analyze but i mean you think about it like i'm not wrong like her only her only phallic talisman fails her when the moment comes so i don't know what what message we're supposed to glean from that but uh well and and um another thing that i think like so uh this is not necessarily coming from having a female director but uh just from having a female superhero in general is um how she uses weapons differently than a man would mm-hmm. and um uh, like and then how that is a metaphor for how women engage in, with the world like <laughs> we do use truth and defensive deflection more than we use swords <laughs> i mean speak for yeah no for sure uh i sometimes i think i would like to use a sword uh, but again, it, it comes to safety, right? right? Like, like those are just not available to us as women, right? I was so, like, uh, I was like, there's no solution. I was just making a really depressing no. point, right? Thanks. No, thanks for waiting, um, but I don't, I don't have any <laughs> answers. No. So uh, one thing that I think does come from having a female director is uh, Diana was not sexualized in this movie in the same way that I think she would have if we had any other like male director <laughs> where there's just like scenes and it's just of like a torso <laughs> or like breasts and you're like this is the focus there's no one's face right. what's happening here yeah right like i don't think that the camera was 
looking to consume her. No. And I think so, that so was this, the difference. This movie was not made with a male gaze or with a male gaze in mind. Right. And because male gaze tends to be, uh, you know, about objectification and consumption, I never felt like that was what was happening to her. No. Like, she was definitely the protagonist and not the object. She was the subject, not the object. <sighs> like, I just get warm and fuzzy when you say that. Like, <laughs> what a beautiful, beautiful moment for all of us who have ever been objectified, ever. Because if it happens to you once, it sticks with you. If it happens to you every day, it still sticks with you. It just becomes an everyday occurrence. And then you just become angry. <laughs> and uh, you get real mad sometimes. Uh. Like I, I am dealing with the situation <laughs> right now at, at USC and like this is so much like sometimes I think men just well not sometimes but most of the time men don't even realize like what they're doing like how much we women have to be really careful mm-hmm. and like how much we're we're thinking about like like you're talking about armor like wearing headphones on the bus. Oh yeah, yeah. We're scared all the time. Yeah, like, <laughs> like when I when I sit down like on a bench or whatever, I make sure that I put my bag next to me so that no one's gonna sit too close. Right. I carry my keys in my hand, and I park under a streetlight, and like I, if there's nobody around, I might wait until I see somebody else to get out of a car. Like, <laughs> right. Just so that there's a witness if a crime is committed against me. And this is a thing that happens to me every day. Right. And to have a movie with that in the background and not um, and not having to, like, consider, uh, like, how it would have been different if, you know, a man would have directed, like, it, like, um, I'm not saying anything that I that is coherent right now. But. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Yeah. And I think like what you said earlier about men not understanding necessarily like how we live in this world and we live in this world uh, a little bit scared all the time. I don't think them not understanding that is an excuse. Like I want to be very clear. Like I've had this conversation with, with men in my life and these are wonderful, amazing men who are trying to be allies, but it's the idea of, Oh, well I stopped to get gas or like, why don't you stop to get gas? And it's like, well, it's at night. So I'm not going to stop to get gas if I'm alone. That's why my car is on empty, right? Like, and that's just something that I don't think is on their minds because it doesn't have to be. And that's a privilege, right? You don't have to think about your physical safety getting gas. So you don't think about why I don't have gas. Right. (laughs) Sorry. Now I'm getting all uh, riled up here and I've only had one cup of coffee. So (laughs) that's, so, um, is there anything else we should if talk only about we had it like a shield right Just, right if only we i had... would get gas at night if i had a shield right i mean if you had a shield if you had the kind of like warrior training that diana has right if if i could climb a wall with my bare hands i might be more inclined to park in a parking garage right or if we lived on an island with only women you know yeah like yeah like the reason that that I feel like I like would want the training that Diana has is because I live in a man's world, so I have to engage on those terms. Right. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry, you just said we live in a man's world, and I just like deep sigh, right? Like like full yep. body yep. shudder. And this does not mean <laughs> that I hate all men. <laughs> please please know that. Please know that. <laughs> no. It's not hate. We hate the system. I hate patriarchy. That's the difference. Yeah. So should we get in the pulpit? Yeah. We're ready for the pop culture pulpit? I think I think we should. So yeah. So pop culture pulpit, we're going to kind of sum up what we've tried to say and then send us out into the world with some sort of action that we can do um, in response mm-hmm. to that conclusion. Yes. So um, our message that uh, we got out of um, Wonder Woman and out of our discussion today. What is that, Kayla? That patriarchy is pervasive. (laughs) And that uh, matriarchies, like, they're just mythical. They do not exist in the real world. (laughs) Like, even at at the Mascara, like... Like, (laughs) 
<laughs> you got to be on a magic right. island um, <laughs> to get away from right, a, a magic male dominance in a comic book <laughs> that's literally right. physically hidden from the world. <laughs> oh, that's grim. Uh, yeah, and that patriarchy is pervasive. It's pervasive and right. Well, and like, yep. and yep, and that that's, that's we it. know that it's there, but mm-hmm. it's not acknowledged. Yeah, it's just pervasive in the world so much that that no, that nobody even says it's there because everybody like it's just part of it. It just is the yeah. world. Yeah, we we, <laughs> we don't even notice when we're not noticing it. So right. Yeah. So what are we going to do about this, mm. maybe in response to patriarchy being pervasive? We are going to pay to watch a film directed by a female about a female. Hashtag Bechtel test. Right. I thought about like looking up a historical movie or like not necessarily one that's coming out but Mm -hmm. then i was like you know what i want to support somebody who is doing stuff right now so i just googled female directed movies um and then uh i found this article that uh talks about i don't know six or seven of them that are coming out this fall um and i'll put that in the show notes for you guys but the one that debuted at sundance that i am really interested in paying to see it comes out on october 27th um it's called novitiate it's uh, directed by Maggie Betts. It's her featured debut as a director. And it traces the journey of the starry-eyed Kathleen, which begins in a parochial school when a nun explains the Catholic faith is different from all others because it is built on the twin pillars of love and sacrifice. And so Kathleen is becoming a nun during the decrees of Vatican II. So it's like a changing like catholicism um and and then it's you know nuns Mm. so they are um a bunch of women in religious life so it seemed to fit very nicely into everything that we're talking about in this podcast Um, religion and then a female director and just society in general how religion and women are treated in society and religion so that's Novitiate coming out on October 27th. I'm going to go see that. Love it. Okay. So for me, when I thought about what I wanted to choose as my recommendation, I thought about it's about like paying money to see something and support kind of women for women by women, etc. But I also think it's about a larger cultural conversation. And I think we have to be very cognizant of what is being talked about and where and by whom. And one of the conversations that I really enjoyed being able to engage in this past summer was around Sofia Coppola's film Beguiled about white women in the South, Civil War, they take in this soldier. And there's a lot of things happening in that film about gender and I mean, it's an interesting conversation just about gender, but the women in this film are white and it's set in the South during the Civil War and you're wondering where all the black characters are and they're just not there. And there's a lot to be talked about about that decision as well, right? Like, so if you take it outworld, right, should a white woman direct a film about black women? And all of these things are very interesting questions. And I think to engage in that conversation in a meaningful way and to interact on Twitter or to bring it up in a heated debate at uh, your brunch table, you do need to to see it and to see what's going on in that in that film. And it was definitely an experience for me to watch it and, and to think about what is being said. And I mean, even because there was high profile you know, actresses in that film, right? You have right. Nicole Kidman who is being talked a lot about now in terms of like her age and her beauty and, and things like that. And, you know, the young uh, ingenues are they here to dethrone the, the pretty women that we watched as children on screen. And there's just oh, so much. So yes, go watch Beguiled. And then at Kayla on Twitter. And then at me. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I don't I don't really have time to engage in Twitter arguments all day. I do have a day job. But uh, I do think that it's important to pay to see the film and then right. 
read the articles and make sure you're reading articles from different voices, right? Like read an article uh, by a white woman and then read an article by a black man. Read about it from someone who's straight. Read about it from someone who falls uh, in yes. a more interesting place yes. on the spectrum. Like diversity of opinion, y'all. That's that's my uh, that's my pulpit for you today. It's a good, that's a good, that should, that should just be your everyday life. Just, just always <laughs> seek out. Yes. Always seek yes. out diverse diversity of opinion if everyone around you looks like you your world is too small yes so okay hmm. well yeah. that was fun so <laughs> so that um has been episode one of uh brunch and blasphemy mm-hmm. um i hope that this kickstarts some brunch conversations and was blasphemous enough without you know, actually <laughs> inciting some smiting. Yeah, I've yet to be smoked. Yeah, me neither. Smoot? Smitten? I'll look that up. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely been smitten. I've smitten like 12 times a day. <laughs> smitten with food, with my cup of coffee, smitten by the UPS man who dropped off my <laughs> boxes of LaCroix this morning. Smitten all the time. Okay, so if you have any questions or comments or nice suggestions, email us at brunchandblasphemy at gmail.com. Um, and if you want to leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever people want to call that now, that'd be great. Um, and next week, we're going to talk about Lucifer. What do we want to say about that, Kayla? We're going to talk about Lucifer, the television show, uh, not Lucifer like a person I know personally. Yes, I definitely uh, should have specified that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, there have been some uh, interesting conversations I've had in my lifetime where I've been accused of being, you know, in cahoots with, uh, with Lucifer, and I have yet to uh, have that happen. I'll let y'all know if I do. But otherwise, yeah, we'll be talking about the show, and I'm excited about that. But otherwise, I hope everybody has a delightful week and they do something to make the world a better place. Yep. All right. Well, did we have a catchphrase for our end yet? Uh, no, but we should workshop that. Okay. All right. Well, see <laughs> All everybody right. next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs>